Reserve Bank Governor Philip Lowe says inflation figures will determine if there are any more rate rises to come. Opposition leader Peter Dutton says the Liberals will vote no to the voice referendum. And there are reports this morning that Prime Minister Anthony Albanese will visit Beijing. It's Thursday, the 6th of April, 2023. Welcome to Fear and Greed, Australia's most popular business podcast. I'm Michael Thompson and good morning, Sean Aylmer. Good morning, Michael. Fresh from a much improved effort at Trivia Night at the uh, pub across the road from where I live. Last week, we came 17th out of 20th. Last night, 15th. Very exciting. Yeah, much improved might be a bit of a stretch there, Sean. But um, you know what? That's that's an improvement is an improvement. So well done. And I'll absolutely. I've got more questions for you uh, about this later on. I want to mention though uh, your interview that you have coming up after the show today. This is a fantastic chat. Brent Smart, the CMO, the Chief Marketing Officer of Telstra. That is a big, big job. A big, big job. Telstra, of course, is one of the biggest spenders in the country. We talk about all sorts of things from what it's like to walk in and try and get your head around the business that is Telstra. Brent's only been there for six months or a little bit longer than that, through to you know his initial ad campaign, which was all about being secured by Telstra. You'll know the ad when we talk about it. On to where you can find audiences and how you balance advertising to shareholders versus advertising to consumers. Very wide ranging. And now Brent is obviously a market leader. When you've got the top job at Telstra, you must be a market leader. So well worth a listen. Yeah, it is not to be missed. The main story this morning, though, Sean, Reserve Bank Governor Phil Lowe yesterday said future rate rises depend mostly on inflation data due at the end of the month. It's too early, he says, uh, to be thinking about rate cuts, and it's important to return the budget to medium-term balance. Dr Lowe was speaking at the National Press Club in Canberra and he said moderate wages growth, the speed of interest rate transmissions and the bank's determination to preserve recent labour market gains explains why the Reserve Bank kept rates on hold on Tuesday, even if other central banks continue to lift interest rates. He again emphasised the need to not allow higher wages to cause higher prices. He said sustainable rates of wages growth was about 2.5% plus whatever productivity measures that. Ahead of next month's federal budget, Lowe said using extra revenue from higher commodity prices and bracket creep to help balance the budget makes sense, for now at least. He also rejected the notion of a mortgage cliff hitting the market. Australians who have rolled off their fixed rate loans are keeping up with their repayments, he said. Remember, about 880,000 fixed rate loans will switch to higher variable rates this year, Michael. Sean, I've never been uh, afraid to ask a question that might make me sound a little bit silly. When you mentioned uh, the speed of interest rate transmission being one of those factors uh, that kind of influence their decision to keep rates on hold, what do you mean? Do you mean in terms of just the, the speed at which rates have risen or the speed at which kind of banks pass on the interest rates to increases to consumers? So it's the speed that the effect of the interest rate increase hits consumers and that is obviously through what you're paying you know in mortgage repayments but it's got a lot to do with what you might be saving it's got a lot to do with how those interest rates affect other things which take a while to flow through to hit the household now generally the rule of thumb was that it took 18 months or so for the full impact of an interest rate rise to hit there's a lot of debate about that i know amp have done some work and reckon about 60% of the impact of interest rates have actually hit household borrowers thus far, which means there's a hell of a lot still to come. Okay. All right. He also had quite a bit to say about the housing market. 
He sure did. Lowe said house prices are high because the price of land is high, and that's because of the choices we make as a society about you know, where we want to live, how we tax housing. Now, almost 13 million people live in Sydney, Melbourne, and Brisbane. Therefore, we're choosing that, and that's pushing up prices because there's only limited land in those cities. Also, the family home attracts minimal tax across the tax system. So that's kind of what he's getting at. Lowe also warned that not enough homes are being built to house an influx of migrants and he expects rents to keep growing, putting pressure on inflation. Lowe urged the government to implement some of the recommendations in the Productivity Commission's recent five-year report to make the economy more inflation-proof. He emphasised the need to grow productivity because it means there's a bigger pie to share. A couple of other comments from the Reserve Bank Governor, Michael. He said Australian banks are well capitalised and depositors can have confidence in the system. And the other thing, he pondered about where all the $100 bills have gone. He said there are about 18 $100 bills in circulation for every person in the country, He certainly doesn't have his 18 $100 bills and he suspects that most people don't have 18 $100 bills under the bed or somewhere or other. He's just not sure where they've all gone. Sean, I'm just, Mm. I know this is risky, uh, but doing a bit of brainstorming kind of on the fly here. Yeah. (laughs) Don't you think that's a good idea for a a bit of a fear and greed spin-off podcast series, one called Where Have All the Hundreds Gone?, where you and I go into people's houses, obviously with their their permission, and essentially just search for the $100 notes, like under the mattresses. Yeah, let's do it without their permission, even better. Yeah, and we just ransack the whole place. And they come home and go, ah, Sean and Michael have been here. <laughs> Wouldn't that? I reckon that would actually go quite well as a podcast series. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> maybe a video series would be even better. Who knows? Who knows? Mm. Look, I'm going to put that one down. There's no bad ideas in a brainstorm. That's right. I mean, that one's that one's nudging bad, but anyway, we'll <laughs> we'll see how we go. Uh, local market yesterday. How did it go? <laughs> I don't know how to respond to you sometimes, Michael. You come up with these ideas which are zany, shall we say? Creative, creative. Sure. Mm. Okay, the local market. Yes, of course. The S and P ASX 200 closed up just a touch, one point. In fact, to 7,237 points, not bad really given the week lead-in from Wall Street. Not a lot going on as we head into the Easter long weekend. The big iron ore miners fell sharply. Newcrest, Transurban, Aristocrat Leisure and QBE all outperformed. Now, lithium and gold stocks were among the best performers with core lithium up 8.4%, the best of the top 200, while gold digger Remelius Resources was up 8%. Worst on the day was fund manager Magellan Financial after it said it had lost a large mandate from a super fund. Magellan lost 4.8% yesterday. It's now the smallest company in market value on the ASX 200, which is pretty incredible. At its peak three years ago, one Magellan share was trading at nearly $74. Yesterday, it closed at $8.22. Oh, that's extraordinary. It is extraordinary. It's had a very, very rough couple of years. Yeah, it certainly has. Uh, what's happening on international markets? Well, the Reserve Bank of New Zealand bucked the trend yesterday and lifted the official cash rate in that country by 50 basis points. Most economists thought it would raise rates, but only by 25 basis points. The Kiwis remain very concerned about inflation. That pushed the New Zealand dollar higher. The Aussie dollar has held on to gains earlier this week. It's trading at about 67.6 US cents. Otherwise, Michael, oil was steady. Gold was higher. It's trading well above 200,000 US dollars an ounce. And cryptocurrencies are a bit stronger too. We'll be back in a moment with the rest of the day's business news. 
Sean, opposition leader Peter Dutton yesterday said that his party will oppose the voice referendum later this year and instead push to legislate a voice that is not enshrined in the constitution. Liberal MPs have voted to formally oppose the government's model for this year's referendum. Instead, they want local and regional voice bodies to be created. A six-week parliamentary inquiry is underway and the opposition will seek a change to draft clauses about the voice, advising parliament and the executive. Michael, it's a controversial decision by the Libs and it is possible some moderate backbenchers will split with the party's position to support the voice. Already, Bridget Archer has come out and hinted that she wouldn't be following the party line. It also opens up Dutton to criticism over being too right and not in touch with the electorate. And of course, without bipartisan support, it's very difficult to see the voice referendum succeeding. Dutton yesterday blamed Prime Minister Anthony Albanese, saying he hadn't provided enough detail and said he made the decision after consulting with Indigenous leaders. Dutton also claimed that the Albanese model was dividing Australia. The decision came after a poll in the Australian newspaper yesterday morning shows that five states are in favour of backing the voice referendum with Queensland the holdout. The news poll shows 54% of all Australian voters support constitutional recognition of an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice to Parliament, with 38% opposed. Critically, it shows that the referendum would also meet the requirements of obtaining majority of voters in a majority of states. Still, the Liberals under Peter Dutton have decided to vote no. Yeah, it's a big story, Sean, and it, and it really get, does guarantee that it is going to become very, very political this year. So it is going to uh, to consume an awful lot of time and debate, you would think. And energy. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that it's a shame that there isn't bipartisan agreement on it because what will happen is it will be debated and it should be debated. It's, it's you know, arguably the most important thing uh, happening at the moment, but there's lots of other stuff that will be pushed to the sidelines, which is you know, a shame. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, now, there are reports this morning, Sean, that Beijing has invited Prime Minister Anthony Albanese to visit later in the year, which is a very, very visible sign of the warming relationship between the two countries. The South China Morning Post reported that the Chinese government has issued an invitation in principle to the Prime Minister and timing could mark the 50th anniversary of the first visit to China by an Australian PM. That was, of course, Gough Whitlam. A Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesperson wouldn't comment but said China hoped to uphold the principles of mutual respect and bring the bilateral relations back on track. Any visit will be very high profile and likely to come with some type of agreement between the two countries on trade. Australia is still smarting over protectionist policies implemented by Beijing in recent years that's reduced local exports by around $20 billion. You can't imagine Albanese would go and meet Xi Jinping without coming back with something. Now, Sean, this is an interesting one. Petrol and diesel supplier Viva Energy will buy the OTR group for $1.15 billion from Peregrine Corporation, meaning Coles Express service stations will be replaced by on-the-run convenience stores with petrol bowsers. Yes, it's all a bit complex, so stay with me. So the deal change very much changes the dynamics in the growing grab-and-go retailing market. I don't know about you, I spend a lot of time grabbing and going in service stations and things like that now. <laughs> oh, Michael, 
Oh, Michael. <laughs> I'm sorry, you said it, Sean. I'm not going to yeah. comment. I'm just going to leave that for people to make up their own minds. Okay, so Viva will now own the 205-strong network of on-the-run retailers that generates about $3 billion of revenue a year and employs about 6,500 people. It includes 184 integrated fuel and convenience stores. It also includes the Smoke Mart and Gift box tobacco and cigarette stores. You might have seen those around the place. Viva Chief Executive Scott Wyatt said OTR would become Viva Energy's flagship convenience brand, replacing Coles Express over time. Now, OTR has a really interesting history. It was founded back in the mid-1980s when a Lebanese immigrant, the late Fred Shaheen, came to Australia, couldn't find a job. He answered an ad in the paper that said, do you want to buy a BP petrol station? He said yes, mostly because it had a house attached to it and he needed to house his family, his wife and three boys. He was in the working class suburb of Woodville Park. That decision has grown. Now, Mr. Shahin has died, but his uh, kids now own the business. That decision has led to a $1.15 billion sale. That is a remarkable story, Sean. It sure is. It's a bit like the super cheap auto guy from yesterday, Mr. Rowe. Yeah, growing his business over 50 years. Yeah, yeah, same sort of deal. Oh, I love that. Yeah, ripper. More and more Australians are heading back to the mall with Westfield Shopping Centre owner Centre Group saying customer visitations are up 16% in the first three months of this year to $125 million. That's right. Centre held its AGM yesterday and reported a strong operating performance in the early part of 2023. Sales for January and February are 17% higher compared to a year ago and 10% better than pre-pandemic 2019. It was the last meeting for outgoing chair Brian Schwartz. Good luck to Mr Schwartz. And Sean, receivers have been appointed to take control of the Australian operations of ASX-listed BWX a day after the beauty and skincare group called in FTI Consulting as voluntary administrators. Yeah, so BWX's operations outside of Australia and the go-to skincare business founded by Zoe Foster-Blake are not in administration or receivership and they continue to trade normally. Important to keep that in mind. According to the Financial Review, the receivers have assumed day-to-day control of the Australian operations of the BWX group, which had been suspended from the ASX trading. It owns brands like Sukin, Mineral Fusion and Andalau Naturals. It's also got the e-commerce platforms Flora and Fauna, and nourished life. Now, BWX said customer destocking and inventory and working capital issues led to directors having to call in administrators. All right, moving to international news now, and it it really, it's been everywhere, Sean, but it is worth revisiting what happened yesterday in the US. New York prosecutors alleged that Donald Trump conspired to illegally influence the 2016 election through a series of hush money payments designed to silence claims that he feared would be harmful to his presidential candidacy. It is important in this story to remember what it's actually about. The charges are arise from a series of checks that Mr. Trump or his company wrote during the presidential campaign to his lawyer or fixer for his role in making a payment to a porn actor, Stormy Daniels, who alleged an extramarital sexual encounter with Mr. Trump. The payments, according to the assistant district attorney in the US, were part of an unlawful plan to identify and suppress negative information that could have undermined Trump's campaign for president. That's the nub of it. It's important to remember that. 
It's the first time a former president has faced a judge in his own criminal prosecution, though yesterday's arraignment was mostly procedural. Trump, of course, pleaded not guilty. Outside the court, there were protesters for Trump, protesters against him, but there was no violence. That was good news. And the next court date is December 4. Trump himself said very little in New York, a bit unusual for him, and he was warned by the judge to refrain from rhetoric that could inflame or cause civil unrest. That was in New York. He then flew back home to Mar-a-Lago in Florida, and wow, he let fire. He had a news conference. He called the justice system lawless, and Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg a criminal. He had a go at a bunch of things that he normally has a go at, what he calls the stolen election. That's the one he lost to Joe Biden. He had a go at Hillary Clinton. Not sure where she plays a role in all this. He had a go at the Bidens. He had a go at the judge involved in this case, as well as the judge's wife and the judge's daughter. And he said the only crime he's committed is to defend the nation from those who seek to destroy it. What do you say to that? I love that the judge had warned him, don't say anything. He managed to get outside, get on the plane, and you can just imagine the, the build-up on the plane. I've got to say something. I've got to say something. Gets off the plane and just blows up. I don't quite understand why it's not contempt. I think it's because he said it in Florida. He didn't say it in New York. Mm. And I actually do think there's a technical difference there. If he was in New York, and that's why he didn't say it when he came out, it would have been contempt of court. And notwithstanding, of course, that this is reported everywhere. I think the fact that he said it in Florida makes a difference. Goodness me. Uh, This is a story that is just going to keep on giving, isn't it? Sure is. Sure is. Now, French President Emmanuel Macron is visiting China at the moment with plenty of FaceTime with President Xi Jinping. Macron's trip began yesterday and formal meetings will include European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen in in the southern city of Guangzhou. China Watcher says it's significant that the leaders are meeting outside Beijing and French officials say they have sensed a special warmth from their Chinese counterparts ahead of the trip. Bloomberg reports that she sees Macron as someone who can push the European Union toward a more moderate position on China than what the US is pushing anyway. France is influential in NATO. It's also a permanent member of the United Nations Security Council. And finally, Sean, a bit of a... uh A Murdoch update, really. Mm. Rupert Murdoch has called off his engagement to his prospective fifth wife, Anne Leslie Smith, months before they were due to get married and not long after actually announcing the engagement in the first place. Two weeks, Michael, two weeks. Now, back then, the 92-year-old media tycoon said that the 66-year-old American radio host would be his last wife. According to the Telegraph of London, Smith was seen last week wearing an 11-carat diamond engagement ring. That's worth about... About $4 million Aussie dollars, that one. And a summer wedding was planned, but apparently it is all over. Vanity Fair magazine claims that Murdoch has become increasingly uncomfortable with his fiance's outspoken evangelical views. According to other reports, the couple came to a mutual decision after Ms. Smith said she was struggling to cope with being in the public eye. Whatever the case, the wedding's off. Now, up next is the Fear and Greed Daily interview. Your guest today, Sean, fantastic interview, Brent Smart, the Chief Marketing Officer of Telstra. Yes, and what a job to have, one of the biggest spenders in the market. Uh, We talk all about where he spends that money and what he thinks about Telstra's marketing campaigns and where they're going and all that sort of stuff. Fascinating chat. 
All right, now, Sean, we very quickly need to nominate an MEA, a MIA, a most enthusiastic advocate mm-hmm. for fear and greed for today. So this is someone who basically kind of spruiks the podcast. It's a bit, bit of a fan, so tells other people about it, which is very much appreciated. And today's MIA is a listener by the name of Lisa uh, who got in touch via LinkedIn and said that she was joining the MIA crew. Uh, she said it sounds like a good merchandising opportunity, which is, I, I would agree with that. But can you imagine all the explanations you would have to give as to what MEA stands for? Mm, mm. I, it takes me 30 seconds just to explain in this podcast every day what MIA stands for. I really don't know. We should have asked Brent Smart about how we could market uh, the MIA concept better. Yes, we should have. Anyway, but Lisa, mm, true, fantastic. True. Thank you so much for listening and thank you very much for uh, for spreading the word about Fear and Greed. You are uh, today's MIA. It's like a meerkat, isn't it, really? Yes, it is. Maybe there's something in that. Maybe there's something in that. I mean, meerkats worked for Compare the Market. Yeah, that's Watching, spreading the news, all that sort of stuff. Yes, and living as part of a broader community because they all live in those burrows and and it feels like fear and greed is basically that burrow. Maybe, maybe. Let's work on it. Yeah, I think it needs a little bit of work, Sean. All righty, and don't miss that interview with Brent Smart coming up next on your podcast platform or at fearandgreed.com.au. Thank you very much, Sean. Thank you, Michael. It's Thursday, the 6th of April, 2023. Make sure you're following the podcast. Join us online on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And of course, stay up to date on all the business news with Alexa and your Amazon Echo smart speaker. All you have to do is say, Alexa, play the Fear and Greed podcast to catch the latest episode. You can grab yours now at amazon.com.au. I'm Michael Thompson, and that was Fear and Greed. Have a great day.